If you have your Bibles this morning and you would find with me Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, and while you're turning there, I have a card I'd like to read for you. Uh, dear church family, I want to thank you all for your thoughts, prayers, texts, and phone calls and food during my surgery and my recovery. I am so thankful to have such a caring and loving church, and that's from Sister Judy Smith. And so you continue to pray for her, and we're glad that she's back up and going. Today I want to talk to you about probably the most difficult topic in all of the Bible to address, and that is the issue of our heart. The issue of our heart. The Bible mentions heart in multiple different ways. It can be the uh, internal being of who you are. It can be the thought process. It can be how you understand things. It can be how you trust God. But ultimately, when he's talking about your heart here in this text, it's our response to Him. What are we doing in response in our decisions to what He is doing? And the heart is something that is very important in your spiritual walk because just like your physical body, you can survive a broken leg, you can survive a broken arm, uh, you can survive hearing problems and vision problems, but if the heart goes bad, everything else is affected. But the heart is the one thing that no one else knows except for us and God. You don't know my heart, and I don't know yours. I can put on a wonderful facade on Sundays, and so can you. You can stroll in here in your Sunday best and, and your Sunday smile and yet have a cold, dead heart to the things of God. I can stroll in here on a Sunday and put this suit and tie on and look as good as possible for me to look and be ate up with unforgiveness and bitterness. But what does it take for God to really work in this place? in your life, and your marriage, it is when God deals with our hearts. I want to share a couple of verses with you about the heart from the Bible before we start. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Everything you do, everything you attempt is ultimately an overflow of the heart. In Psalms 51.10, we see that it's only God that can clean us up and give us a new heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You can't clean your heart up. You can't change your stripes or spots, as they would say. Listen to Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now this is important today because some of you are saying, well, what does that mean for me? For some of you today, there's a reason you're so bitter and angry and discouraged. There's a reason that you're never satisfied at home or at church. There's a reason that you're always looking for it's better over there. It could be better over in this situation. There is no joy. There's always a constant desire for division and anger. You say, Jake, you're meddling today. I am not. But the Word of God is going to. Because Jesus, we have just looked two weeks ago about Jesus on the Sabbath healing and people being upset. 
and them questioning him and, and just by doing something as simple as picking some grain. But today there's a group of religious people who show up for worship. But they don't show up for worship to worship. They show up to worship to find fault in Jesus. They, they find fault in what he is doing. And I'm going to just say this this morning. There are some of you here today that are not here to worship. You're here maybe because you've always been here, but yet you long ago lost a desire to worship. You say, Jake, I'm listening to this sermon, but I am not going to apply it or listen to because you have long grown angry with your pastor. Some of you sat through Sunday school but had no desire to learn or listen because your Sunday school teacher has done something to you and you're just there out of convenience. This morning I want you to hear this. This sermon is for you. You say, Jake, how do you know that? Well, this is why. Because I can be the world's worst at hardening my heart. I can be the world's worst at letting the things that other people say and do affect how I view them, how I love them, and how I respond to God. You say, Jake, I'm already not going to listen. Then the warning at the end of this sermon is for you. And so if you would stand with me out of reverence to reading the Word of God. And trust me, the first service looked at me just as angry as some as you are. And what I told him is you look up at these triple chins and it does not bother me at all, all right? Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they, that's this religious group of people, watched him closely, whether he might heal on the Sabbath. So they might, repeat those two words with me, accuse him. And he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as the whole of the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Pray with me. Father, today you alone know the hearts. And God, there is nothing I can say on my own power, with my own authority, that will accomplish anything. But Lord, the preaching of your word, the power of your word, the power of your spirit, Lord, he can work and move in ways and do things, God, that no one else can. And so, Lord, I am putting all of this faith and trust and, 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 and understanding in you today, Lord, trusting you to work. Father, if you don't work, if you don't move, if you don't do, Lord, I am here with nothing to offer. And so, Lord, I ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we see Jesus goes to the temple to worship, to heal, and yet there is a group of people who are there for one reason and one reason only, to find fault in Him. This morning I want to show you three things very quickly, if you'll listen well. The first is this, we see the hardness of their hearts. The hardness of their hearts. Look in verse 1 and 2. And He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched Him closely. 
Now just imagine this. They know something's going on. They know that Jesus is in the business of changing lives, healing the sick, telling the lame to get up and walk, giving sight to the blind, delivering the demon-possessed, changing the lives of hopeless people. And they're there to watch. You say, well, Jake, what is the problem with that? Because they should have been there waiting and expecting God to work, excited about what God could do, but they weren't there. They were there in a spirit of judgment, a spirit of hatred, a spirit of hard-heartedness, whether He might heal Him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse Him. I want you just to stop and think for a minute. We don't know exactly what the extent of this man's withered hand would be, but it would have been in such a state that he could not have used it. He could not have provided. He could not have worked. You say, well, Jake, you can work one-handed. Yes, in today's world you can, but in this day and age where everything was agricultural-based or, or you made things or, you, or worked with your hands, this would have crippled this man from being able to provide if he had a family. It would have probably kept him from getting married because a potential suitor would have saw him and said, he can't provide for us. And so this man has lived a life of hopelessness. This man has lived a life of brokenness. This man has lived a a situation where he cannot provide for himself. This should be the opportunity where the people of God are ready for God to work, ready for God to move ready for God to change lives, ready for God to heal, but yet they were there for one reason, to accuse Him. Now, you say, wait a second, preacher. I thought we were supposed to have discernment. That's what I have. Because this is when I saw the faces begin to change in the first service. It's discernment. I'm not critical. It's wisdom, not wickedness. It's, it's, it's this knowledge that I have, not condemnation. You're right. The Bible tells us to discern. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. For almost 12 years, I have told you every Sunday to bring this book with you to bring a notepad, to take notes, to write things down. That way, when you leave here, you might not always agree. You might not always like it. But you can say, I have heard from the Word of God. I have been taught what it says, even if I don't like it. You ought to have that wisdom in your Sunday school class. You ought to have that wisdom in the pastors that you listen to. You say, well, Jake, what's the difference between discernment and a critical spirit of judgment? A critical spirit that so many times infests the church. Well, it's how you love each other. It's how we love each other. In Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says these words, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He deals with individual sin. He says, Jake, you shouldn't have that unforgiveness toward this person. Jake, you shouldn't be discouraged over this situation. Satan tries to convince us that, Jake, you're you're no good. You, You don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. And friends, when you and I love God and love each other, that's how we love people. It's out of a concern for someone. 
It's out of a care for someone. It's not out of a want because it could be better, it could be different. It's out of genuine love. You say, well, Jake, I have no problem. I am overflowing with love. I am overflowing with discernment. Today, I ask that you would look at the actions that come from that. Come from that. Look what it says in Luke chapter 6. A good man out of the good treasure of his... You're going to get a long one today. Of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This morning if you're here and you can find no contentment in your marriage, if you can find no contentment in uh, uh, your, your church experience, if you can find no joy from worshiping the Lord, if you can find no compassion for other people, you need to know something. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. It doesn't matter the mistakes they've made. They might be valid. They might be true. But this morning you need to know something. The issue is not with them. It's with me. You say, Jake, you don't understand how you've hurt me. You're right. I don't. But you should come and say, Jake, I've experienced this. I'm struggling with. Let's work it through. You should say, well, Jake, I'm struggling in my marriage and, and I don't feel that there's love and, 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 and a relationship there. I just don't understand. Look up here for just a moment. Whatever hard-heartedness you're struggling with today, it did not start today. It started weeks and months and years ago when you made a decision. I'm not forgiving them for that. I'm not trusting them with that. I'm not letting go of that. I'm not overlooking that. I'm not going to be satisfied where God has me. And in that moment, the heart begins to harden. And it begins to change. And it begins to fester. And it begins to spread. These men had had all they could take of Jesus changing lives. They'd had all they could take of Him telling about the good news of salvation. They had all they could handle about Him getting the attention that they didn't have anymore. And so their hearts began to grow hard. But look what comes next. Jesus points out the hardness of their hearts. Jesus just points it right out to them. And the same is true for us today. Look what it says in verse 3. Then they came to him. Oh, that's the wrong chapter, excuse me. And he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, now just stop right there. How many of us have ever seen someone come forward to join the church, come forward to be prayed for, and there's that awkward moment where they're standing there, the preacher's standing there, you're looking at them, right? And we're all in this kind of awkwardness. Okay, we voted on them, now what do they do? Do they go sit down? Do we, do we let them pray? Well, this is what he does. He really says, arise and come up here. He brought this withered man's hand and him up in front of everybody so they would have to look. They would have to make a decision. And with this man next to him and everyone looking, then he says these words. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill. But they kept silent. I want you to see the pattern of this. Friends, most people who have a hard heart towards you will never 
tell you about it. They will sneak, they will connive, they will whisper, and it will never be where you can see it. You say, Jake, I'm glad that doesn't happen at church. Look up here. I have seen it in the lobby. I have seen it in hallways. I've seen it in meetings. Look up here. We are all guilty if we're not careful. But he says, tell me. You're the experts on the Sabbath. You're the ones that told me I couldn't pick a little bit of grain. Tell me in front of all these people with this crippled man's hand here. Tell me what should we do? Should we leave him withered and broken? Or should he be set free? Should the power of God be on display? Or should nothing happen? And they said what? Nothing. Friends, I want you to see this this morning and and please hear the heart behind it. The hardness of our heart. It doesn't just affect the person we're angry with. The person that we won't forgive. The idol that we've placed ahead of God. The past that we won't let go of. Listen to what Stephen told the people of Israel before they stoned him. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. He says the entire Old Testament is full of the people of God not listening to God, hardening their hearts toward God, and then rebelling against God. The heart then leads to action. You say, well, Jake, I think you're just picking places from the Bible. Well, let's go back to this verse. In verse 5. And when he had looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Now I want you to see the significance of this. is really important. This word for anger means indignation. The same way that God views sin. That God knows that we are sinners. That we have to be punished for our sin. It gives the idea that God is just and holy and righteous. But this word for grieved, it can mean compassion. It can mean concern. And what it says here is Jesus understood they were wicked. And that wickedness must be punished, but also He was concerned about them. Isn't that who God is? The Bible teaches us that God is holy and perfect, that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve hell and the judgment that is to come. God in every right should punish us for our wickedness. But... In His mercy and compassion for us sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried and rise again. He understands that sin must be punished, but yet He is concerned enough for us to make a way for us to be saved. And so He is angry, but yet He is grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. 
You say, Jake, I'm a Christian. I don't struggle with the hardness of heart. Stephen was talking to lost people. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. Because in Mark chapter 8, Jesus talking to his disciples, his closest followers said this. In Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 17, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Don't miss that. These are the disciples. These are those who are following after Him. Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousands, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to Him, Twelve. You see, friends, not only can sin in your life gross and and public and the stuff that we talk about all the time as these great big bad sins can cause you to harden your heart, but doubt. Questioning God's plan for your life. Questioning what God is doing in your life. Always looking for what comes next instead of being satisfied where you are. He says the disciples didn't trust that God could provide bread for them and He had just done it. And they were already hardening their heart. And so friends, do not think that as a Christian you are immune to this. One unkind comment. One time of being disregarded. One time of someone not paying attention. One time of someone feeling that they were not valued. Friends, your heart can begin to grow hard. You say, well Jake, how do I know how to fix that? You don't. That's why the writer of Psalms 139, starting in verse 23, said, Search me, O God. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This morning you have two choices to make. You can say, Jake, I don't have a hardness of heart. I don't struggle with these things. I'm not in this category. And friends, what you've told God is, don't search me. I do not want to know. Friends, God already knows that's there, whether you want Him to search it or not. But what this verse does tell us is that if you want God to work in your marriage, if you want God to work in your home, if you want God to work in your life, if you want God to work in this church, He will. He says, search me, God. Work through my life. He says, see my anxieties. See if there is any wickedness. He is saying, I know there are things in my life that are there. I know my heart is not like it should be. And so God, search me. Point it out. Reflect the light into it. And then lead me to where you want me to be. This morning, if you have no joy, this morning, if you are critical about everything, this morning, if you cannot find good in anyone, if you cannot be long-suffering and kind and compassion, and most likely you're not willing to answer it with the person sitting next to you going, I live with that person. The question is not, do you have to stay there? The prayer in Psalms is, is, lead me out of it, God. Lead me out of the bondage. Lead me out of the brokenness. Lead me out of the pain. Lead me out of all of this stuff that is sapping the joy that I should have. He says, God, I know that you can take me to a place of real joy.
and real peace and real satisfaction. All right, thank you for the one quiet amen. I appreciate it. You just stay in bondage. I'm getting out. I've let Satan rob me of enough joy. I've let Satan rob me of enough peace. I've let Satan harden my heart and influence me enough. I'm not living that way anymore. I'm going to say it's good to go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to look at people and say, I know they're a stinker, but God, I am too, and you love me. Third and final thing. Hardness of heart leads to rebellion. Hardness of heart leads to rebellion. If you're still listening, say amen. If you wish I'd shut up, say amen. Hey, there we go. Tricked you. Look at verse 6. I'm sorry. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. You see, their bitterness was known when he got there. When he called out their bitterness and their hardness of heart and they did not repent, it led them to full-on rebellion. And this morning I say this and believe it with my whole heart. This morning, whatever brokenness you're carrying, whatever bitterness, whatever hard-heartedness you have, the Lord can heal you if you will let Him. But if you will not let it go today, if you will not get along with God and say, Lord, I know. I know that's what I am. I know that's what I'm struggling with. Look up here. It is only going to get worse. It doesn't just stay the same. That unforgiveness toward one person spreads to two. That being not satisfied at work spreads to not being satisfied at home. Looking at the burden of caring for people then becomes a burden to care for the people that you think you love. You say, well, Jake, I'm not satisfied in in what God's doing in my life or where He's got me or where I'm going or what the church is doing. Listen, get along with God and say, God, how can I be used? God, show me what I can do. God, show me how I can serve. God, show me how I can make a difference. God, show me how I can lead by example. God, deal with me first. Even if the pain is real, even if the hurt is real, even if the failure is real, today the only thing you're responsible, the only thing I'm responsible for is the fact that the Spirit of God is dealing with my heart and says, yes, Lord. Yes. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 2 if you don't think it will get worse. Romans chapter 2 starting in verse 3 says, And do you think this, O man... You who judge those practicing such thing and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God. Paul says if you are going to preach against something, you better not be doing it. If you're going to be talking against something, you better not be living it. And that's one of the greatest stains on the church of America today is the constant scandals of ministers. Preaching against the sanctity of marriage and not being faithful to their wives. The, the faithful, unfaithfulness of having God's money and swindling it and stealing it. But that doesn't just apply to the pulpit. Paul says it's to you. Don't be going around at work and telling everybody to love their wife if you're not going to love your wife. 
Don't be going around telling everybody how to raise their children if you're not going to raise your own children. Paul says, do not think that God turns a blind eye. But don't miss. Look what it says in verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So it starts with what you say and what you're doing. But then it says you're taking advantage of the goodness of God. When you begin to get to a place where you can say, God, your blessings are not enough. God, I know you've been good to me. God, I know you've taken care of me. God, I know you've provided me. But you know what? I'm kind of over it. Friends, it doesn't matter who stands behind this pulpit. It doesn't matter who leads you in singing. If when you come to church, you are not thankful for who God has been and what He has done for you, there is no one on this stage that can get your motor revving. I cannot put the joy of the Lord in you. I cannot stir up the gift that is in you. That is only when you realize, God's been good to me. And even though I'm in the storm, even though I'm going through the fire, even though I'm going through the valley, God's been good to me. And I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to celebrate Him. Because whether the winds come, the rains come, the storms beat the ship, I know the captain. It's you, it's not me. I can't make it happen. I can shout, I can scream, I can sit at a table, I can wear jeans, I can wear a suit. But if you are not in a place where your heart is right with God, none of this matters. You say, well, Jake, I disagree with you. Well, I would love to prove you wrong. It would bring me great joy in love. In verse 5. But in accordance with the... Of your... No, it says and your. Come on. I'm kidding. The hardness and your impotent heart. You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's saying you're doing it to yourself. I'm doing it to myself. I'm bringing this judgment, this lack of joy, all of these things into my life because my hard heart... but I want to leave you with this bit of encouragement. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 28. As Paul is coming to the end of the book of Acts, Luke is writing this. He's ministering to lost people. He's ministering to save people. Listen to what it says in verses 25 and 29. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will not hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will not see, and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. Don't miss that. He says, listen to how they've hardened their hearts. Listen to what they've done to themselves. But don't miss what God is willing to do. So that I should heal them. This morning, the question is, 
What is God's Spirit doing in your life? You have a choice to make whether to say, I don't want healing, I don't want forgiveness, I don't want the chains to be broken. Or you can choose the opposite. You say, well, Jake, I just don't know if the Spirit's doing that in my life. Well, I would love for one last verse to share with you today. In John chapter 16, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit to come. I love in the Bible when Jesus says something and then a verse later he tells you exactly what it means. Because constantly people are coming to me as a pastor going, you know, pastor, that's not what it means. And I can say, well, actually, Jesus said, this is what it means. So, na 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 na, all right? <laughs> Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, good, because he explains it. This is not the words of Jacob Gray. This is Jesus. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Who does not believe in Jesus that is on this world? All people at some point. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what he says is the Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to convict all unbelieving people of their sin. And so today you can't say, God's okay with the hardness of my heart. No, He's not. You say, God's okay with my unforgiveness. No, He's not. The Spirit of God came into the world to convict those who do not believe of sin. Of righteousness. What does that mean? Because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. He says, the Holy Spirit shows you that you are not righteous enough to be with God on your own. Your sin separates you from God. God is holy. God is perfect. Sin will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so He brings you to a realization that you're a sinner. He brings you to a realization that God is too holy. God is too perfect. And God cannot be reached on our own. And then what's the final one? Of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. And so he says, he convicts and shows you that it's not worth following Satan because Satan will be judged and all of his followers will be judged. So he convicts of sin. He shows you of the righteousness of God. And he shows you that there is a punishment for sin. Why? Why? So that you can repent so that you can believe so that you can be saved and friends if God does that for lost people why would he stop dealing with you as his people you say what does the Bible say about that do not grieve the Holy Spirit do not quench the Holy Spirit. This verse is written to the lost. Those verses are written to the saved. Those of us who know God have the Spirit of God and He's trying to work in your life. And He says, don't refuse Him. Don't quench Him. Don't let this hardness, don't let this wickedness stay. You say, well, Jake, that was a lot to say about this. Friends, some of you have already made up your mind. But I don't care.
I'm happy where I'm at. Friends, the greatest Satan lie that Satan will ever tell you as a believer is that the mess you're in is as good as it can be. Friends, I believe God can bring revival to dead churches. I believe God can bring life to dead marriages. I believe God can bring healing to broken relationships. I believe God can bring prodigals home. I believe God can save the lost. I believe God can work in His people. But it is when you and I, under the conviction of the Spirit, deal with the hearts that we have been given that are sinful, wicked, and fallen, and say, yes, Lord, change me. Yes, Lord, set me free. Yes, Lord, heal me of the brokenness and baggage that I carry. Friends, it is applicable to every area of your life. The question is, what will you do? Who will you be in response to God's love towards you? Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, today I have done my very best to explain your word. To explain it not just in the text that we have, but throughout all of your word. Father, today you know that I cannot change a heart. I cannot convict a heart. I cannot save a soul. God, only you can do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would work for your glory and your glory alone. Father, for that heart of stone, God, this morning, that person that is here today, God, I pray that you would break down those walls, that you would bring them to a place of repentance. Father, today I pray that you would deal with the lost, those that are here that don't know you, that you would show them of their desperate need for you and draw them to yourself. Father, I pray for this church that you would help us to, to not harden our hearts, to be moldable and to be kind and to be willing to respond. Father, for those that have been through the battle and are in a place now where they can just celebrate your goodness, Lord, help them to rejoice. But Lord, most importantly, if I have said anything that has dishonored you or your word this morning, Lord, I ask your forgiveness. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.